What's Your Position podcast wants to hear from you. Call 513-6969-SEX anytime and leave us a message. Maybe you have a question about anal. You have a fact about fisting. Or you just want to say, hello, fellow human. 513-6969-SEX. Call us. We will play your message in an upcoming episode. That's 513-6969-739. And remember, stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. What's Your Position podcast wants to hear from you. Call 513-6969-SEX anytime and leave us a message. Maybe you have a question about anal. You have a fact about fisting. Or you just want to say, Hello, fellow human. 513-6969-SEX. Call us. We will play your message in an upcoming episode. That's 513-6969-739. And remember, stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. What's Your Position may contain adult themes, sexual discussions, and strong language. We want everyone to be educated, but we are intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Live from Huntington Beach, this is What's Your Position podcast. On today's episode, we have dominatrix, sex blogger, podcaster, sex educator, and sex worker, Ruby Ryder. And we're going to be talking about pegging. Welcome, fellow humans, to another episode of What's Your Position? And can I just say how fucking excited I am for this episode? A little bit of a backstory for you. Um, At the college that I teach at, I sent out a mass email to all educating platforms across LA to see if I could get some guest speakers to come in and talk about BDSM. And one of those um, wonderful locations was the Center for Positive Sexuality in Los Angeles. And they do a various, very like they, there's like 17 or 18 options, I think, for how what you can have people come and talk about from the center um, in LA. And I picked uh, BDSM Factor Fiction and I got an email from the individual who coordinates all of the programs. And she said, Hey, we can't come in person, but we're going to do a Zoom and we have six educators for you for you at your disposal to talk to your students. I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. So my students are used to Zoom. That's, you know, that it is what it is. Um, And I was lucky enough to meet Ruby through this panel from the Centers for Positive Sexuality. And the information that the panel shared with me and my students was absolutely mind-blowing. And everyone's various uh, backgrounds and and reasons for being involved in the BDSM community were so amazing. And the insight and the intellect they provided to my students was like, 
invaluable. Like my students could not stop talking about it. And I sent an email back to the center and said, hey, would any of those speakers be willing to come on my podcast and talk about their experiences in the BDSM community? And immediately Ruby sent me an email and was like, yeah, hi, absolutely. I would absolutely love to come on and be your podcast. And I was so happy because you were the one I wanted (laughs) because you are so interesting. Not only is Ruby a professional dominatrix, but she is a sex worker. She also is 65 years old and specializes in pegging. Husband Kevin Weller. Yes. Can you please tell the listeners what pegging is? Why are you asking me when we have an expert? Because I would like to know if you know (laughs) what it is. Well, of course I know what it is. Tell me. Because you keep trying to do it to me. (laughs) It's not true. I keep declining. (laughs) What is it? Uh, It's typically when a the female partner uh, straps on a dildo and nails the guy. How? <laughs> In what orifice? In the booty hole. That's right. It is anal penetration. And now, Ruby, let me ask you a question really quickly for the listeners. As far as pegging is concerned, is it typically a female who is doing the penetration or can it be anyone? Okay, the word originally was very gendered. It was like 2001 that it happened, that it got created on Dan Savage's column. Mm-hmm. And originally, I love Dan Savage. Me too. And originally it was oh, very, man. very gendered. It was a woman putting a strap on on and penetrating a man mm-hmm. anally. But, you know, the gender binary mm-hmm. has evolved, broken down, whatever way you want to say it. And the word has evolved along with it. So because I teach about it, my personal definition mm-hmm. is anybody can put on a strap on, but it has to be a prostate owner being penetrated because oh. the prostate owner doesn't necessarily identify as male. So there's no, a lot, yeah, That's lots of true. different combinations. And I also know that parts of the queer community have uh, adopted that word to mean anybody putting a strap on and penetrating anybody in any orifice. And that's fine. Just makes it a little more confusing for me to teach. I have to be really specific about what I teach to, but yeah, that's kind of where the word is now. But, you know, I'm pretty invested in the word because I have domains. (laughs) I paid for websites, people. Uh, So today's episode is going to feature many facets. I want to talk to you about uh, what it's like to be in the BDSM community at the age of 65 as a heterosexual woman, as a person who works in the BDSM community, um, as someone who is a sex worker. But I really do want to spend a good portion of time talking about pegging. Before we get into that, Ruby, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Start when you were a baby. Where'd you grow up? Do you have brothers and sisters? Where'd you go to high school? What were your (laughs) interests? Give me the good stuff. Give me the real stuff. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. I'm a valley girl, actually. And you already mentioned I'm 65 years old, so I was born in 1957. And I'm always honest about that age, which which feels good to be, you know, as opposed to saying I'm 105 years old on, you know, some of the websites where people do that. I was the youngest of four girls and I eventually uh, moved further. I, I moved further north, like to the San Joaquin Valley and ended up in the Ventura area. So I had... Well, I'm not telling you where I went to high school. I don't want people to know who no. I am. No, 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 no. But like, <laughs> I'm thinking, no, no, you no, no, just, we're not going to get the high school part. We're not getting that. Specific. So from an early age, as soon as I became sexual, I had this fascination with anal. 
have no idea why, can't really track it back to anything. But I had a very permissive household in terms of I had accessibility to Penthouse Letters Forum, which is not the pictures, it's the letters. You know, and I'm doing air quotes here. It's supposed to be letters. They're made up totally. But it was pretty. It's like erotica. It's like written erotica. Yeah, but it was pretty handy because they separated all these so-called letters into categories. So I could just flip right to anal. And as long as somebody was getting some kind of anal action, it was a real turn on for me. So wow. that stayed that way. I started writing erotica about it. And, and oh. then I found this letter, found this letter that was sort of the Rubicon, the, you know, the epiphany, whatever you want to call it, because... And it sounds so cheesy to relate the, the, what the letter was about, but it was about two married couples. The women had labeled themselves football widows because their guys were always at the bar watching football games. So oh, okay. they came home and of course they'd been drinking. They come home and the wives were there wearing strap-ons with footballs on the ground and had their guys bend over and pretend they were centers, you know, in that position and fuck them. Right. Uh-huh. And there might've yeah. even been some black guys that show up later and fuck them because that's how bad those letters were. Right. Yeah. They were like porn, yeah. like the pizza guy probably showed up at some point. I, I'm sure. But I had no idea you could do that. So that idea just took hold and never, ever let go. And it was at that point in time that I started writing erotica and I hid it away in the back of my filing cabinet. And I truly mean filing cabinet. There were no computers back then people. So, <laughs> so, uh, I, did you write the erotica by hand or on a typewriter? I have a, most of them were by hand. Yeah. Most of them mm-hmm. were by hand. Okay. And so then time goes on. Uh, I I labeled that part of myself bad and weird and different and strange, like many people who have mm-hmm. sexual desires that don't fit in the box the society says it's supposed to fit in. So yeah. I got married twice. I did approach both husbands with this whole idea of anal play on them. And they both, they weren't shamey or anything. They just both kind of said, no, thanks. Not interested. But I still had so much shame connected with it that I just filed it away again. I didn't have the confidence to persist and say, well, wait a minute, this is something that turns me on, you know? Yeah, right? Like, is there anywhere that we can exist inside the Venn diagram of the two of us? Like, you may not want to be anally penetrated. Is there, but would you, are you as equally turned on by being penetrated anally yourself or is the turn on for you mostly you doing the penetrating? It's me doing the penetrating. Um, Mm-hmm. I have had some pleasurable anal, but it's really not my thing and I'm not really interested in it. So that's one of the first fallacies to point out. And, you know, yeah. sp- spell that any way you want. P-H-A-L-L-U-S, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that is that if your girlfriend or wife or whoever your partner is, if this vagina owner really likes to receive anal, that they will also be open to giving it to you. No, there's some of us out mm-hmm. there that really don't like receiving it at all, but we're happy to fuck you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. So um, then I got divorced the second time uh, when I was 50. Oh, and okay. like the ending of many relationships, it was very non-sexual at the end, which is pretty common. Mm-hmm. So when he left and I finally got divorced, I sort of looked around and I went, okay, if not now, when? You know, it's a marker. When you hit 50, you kind of go, whoa. A lot of people do. I certainly did. So I started exploring and I had a friend who did websites, wonderful friend. And he helped me put up peggingparadise.com. And that was in 2012. Wow. Yeah. 
excuse me, excuse and you me, started that was 2010. A, I started doing podcasts started in 2012. So 2010, oh my that God. went up. Yeah. You're a podcast pioneer. 2012? Did they even have podcasts? <laughs> what? <laughs> Wow. First, the first, I don't know, two or three had such bad quality, sound quality. And I went, oh, that sounds really bad. That doesn't sound like other people's. I need to get a good microphone. You know, Dan Savage right. did that too. So, yeah. Um, and I started exploring. And at first I thought, well, the website's going up and I'm just going to write erotica. I thought I'm a writer of erotica. And I am. I do write erotica still. But uh, I'm a teacher as well. And I realized that I want to start teaching at some point. But in terms of, okay, personal exploration, because I hadn't done anything yet. Okay. Right. So the universe was absolutely this smiling on me. Just in, this is just in your head at this point. You have not pegged anyone. You have not engaged in any pegging in any way. Like no anal play with anybody. Like you're still in your 50, even though it was something that turned you on as, a, as like a sexual being your whole life. At 50 was the first time you started exploring that world physically? It was the first time I did any pegging. I had done uh -huh. anal play like fingers and just fingers, no toys, but fingers with mm -hmm. boyfriends and things over the years. Um, and that was always a thrill. It was a huge thrill. Uh, but neither husband. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me why I chose the husband's right. So let's just not go there. <laughs> So, so um, the universe absolutely was smiling down on me because I got on a website that I would not recommend at this point. So I'm not even going to name it, but don't <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I connected up with this guy who just wanted to explore sexually because that's kind of what it was for. It was just like sexual exploration. And yeah. I kid you not, he was a hot fireman. It's <gasps> like, what? So I got to check two boxes off at the same time. And he was, he was this really sexually explorative guy. And he had always kind of wanted to explore that. I mean, there was a question in the profile area. They had a whole set of uh -huh. questions that were sexual questions you could choose to answer or not. One of those questions was describe your favorite sexual fantasy. So having a little bit of writing skill, I got on there. And to this day, this story is up and visible on my website for free. Nice. And it's called, oh my God. Uh, Hard Times at the Hotel. And it's just this femdom little quick fantasy thing of uh, she calls him up and says, and he's expecting to meet her at the hotel. And she says, when you get there, other way around, I'm sorry, she's coming there. He's already there. She says, I want you naked, holding a glass of champagne and hard, right? And, you know, stuff oh. happens and spanking and then pegging. And so oh, I write my. this, right? Wait, did that work? Hey, when I come home from work tomorrow, <laughs> I want you hard and holding a glass of champagne. I can do that. Fuck oh, yeah, that works. It works. Maybe. It totally works. <laughs> yep. And so, Check. so I wrote this and, uh, you know, they came out of the woodwork, you know, virtually raising their hands and going, me, me, me. Um, so I connect up with this guy and we have dinner and we're talking all about it. And, he, you know, in a very open and honest way. And he says, oh, this is like a really vulnerable part of me. And I said, yes, it is. And he said, so mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm, I'm going to have to trust you. And I said, yes. I said, look, take as much time as you want, which made me laugh inside because usually it's the opposite. You know, the guy is telling the woman, right. oh, honey, take as long as you oh, want. Oh, just do it. Just come home with me. It's fine. Well, no, they're, yeah. they're saying, you know, just you can take as long as you want if they're in a reassuring mode. And here I am being the reassuring oh. mode for this guy, right? 
And which is interesting. Very, like I, that, that, that dichotomy, I feel like has probably been a thread throughout your career. Yes, I would feel yes, like as someone who is changing gender roles within your sex play and within like your sexual encounters, you probably are switching up those roles more often than not. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's well said. Absolutely. We'll talk more mm. about that. <laughs> I'm excited. For that. You're yeah, going to ask me please. some questions that, yes, go right into that. <laughs> And he was still undecided, but we were going to have another date. And he walks me to my car and we have this kiss goodnight. And it was one of those magic kisses that just matched because everybody kisses a little Mm. different, you know, and Mm -hmm. when it matches, that's when you usually say that was a good kiss because it's like the, what you want and it, and it works with what you do. Right. And he just pulls back and says, anybody that kisses like that, I'm down. (laughs) And so, oh. so at that point in time, we just decided, he said, I'm, I'm down, let's do it. Not right yeah. then, but we made another, oh, yeah, no, no, not oh, straight okay. to the hotel. No. Wow. <laughs> and that Yay. was my first experience. And I confess, I lied to him, totally lied to him and told him I'd done it before. Oh. Um, oh. Because that was reassuring to him, right? <gasps> totally okay. lied. Okay. But. Totally See, right. I knew I could pull it off because earlier in my life, I started doing massage, like legit massage, no sex work, no nothing, right? And I just retired from that just not too long ago. So I did massage for 31 years. What does this mean? It means wow. that I can read bodies really, really yeah. well. I see the twitch. I hear the gasp. I watch it all and take it in. And I read bodies so well. Mm-hmm. And it worked. It absolutely worked. Yeah. And you absorb, as a masseuse, you absorb the energy of that person. And so I'm sure when you're pegging, that's even more intimate. And you're absorbing so much of that person's energy. And you can feel when they tense and you can feel when they relax. And and that's got to be even more in-depth than a masseuse, I would imagine. So often you don't get the verbal feedback. So yeah, you're right. It's the, it's the moving around. It's what they do that is not verbal because there aren't that many people that are really comfortable talking about anything, you know, while mm-hmm. sex is happening. And so you kind of have to guess or you have to ask questions, but yeah. it was his first time as well. <laughs> he didn't know it was my first time, but I did it from behind <laughs> like doggy. Right. And I did a reach around and jerked him off. And he was just so blown away. He said, oh, my God, I have no idea. I had no idea that it was this intense. I had no idea. Wow. Did he enjoy oh, it? Yeah. We did it a few more times. Yeah, we he, got together. He, he changed his life. He did. He changed his, he changed life. his life. Oh, how, you, got, you got together a we few did. more times? Yeah. Wow. Do you know what happened to him? Uh, I'm pretty sure he's still a fireman. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if you can call him up and rekindle your old flame. Um, Well, honestly, I kind of moved on because I met this guy um, who was more interested in connecting on a deeper level and having something more shared as opposed to I just want to get together and fuck once in a while. So so that happened. And that's when I started exploring BDSM. Okay. And are you, um, when you got into BDSM, do you feel like that was a natural linear progression for you from like exploring pegging and then discovering the lifestyle of kink and BDSM? Or do you feel like not everyone who is doing pegging is really, I mean, I guess I would classify pegging as a kink in the kink family, in the kink community. So one could technically say, I suppose that pegging is BDSM 
However, you got involved in BDSM by being someone who actually participates in scenes. Is that correct? At like dungeons and whatnot? It is. That's not how it started in the beginning, but Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to explore um, being dominant. I knew that I wanted Mm -hmm. to explore pegging more. I knew I wanted to explore giving spankings and impact play. And that's just a term that is all inclusive for things that you hit people with, (laughs) you know, paddles, whatever, belts, whatever. And I knew I wanted to explore all that. So I started exploring that with this guy I was dating. And I also knew that at that point in time, I wanted to start teaching about pegging. Mm -hmm. So I went to a local store and it was a sex toy store. And there's lots of rules all over the place in, in different counties and things about what you can do and what you can't in terms of selling sex toys. And they make it hard sometimes. And so their rules were something like you could only have a certain percentage of the store sex toys and then you had to sell other stuff. So she sold lingerie. But I'd been there and I'd talked to her. And, and Wait, is that still a thing? Is that why sex toy stores sell lingerie and movies and shit is because they have to have some other things besides sex toys in depends them? Depends on where you live. Depends on where you live in Ventura oh, I, County. Absolutely. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, so, so keeping out the bad element, I don't know. And so okay. I had this conversation with her and she was selling these beginner kits called bend over boyfriend beginner kits. Right. So I approached her, I went in and talked to her again and I said, can I teach for you? Can I teach oh. about pegging? And she says, I'm, I'm really not sure if I have your demographic. And I said, what are you talking about? We just looked over there in the back shelves and you sell bend over beginner kits. And you told me you could barely keep them on the shelf. That's how popular they were. She said, yes, but people come in and buy them, but they don't want to talk about it. (laughs) It's like, oh, honey, you should not own a sex toy store. I did not tell her that. Yeah. yeah. No, she probably needs to not work there anymore. (laughs) Well, she doesn't. That store is long gone. But there was another one. And I started my teaching career and it was lovely. And I had so much fun teaching people and I went down that rabbit hole and I never, ever came back. I am still there and found out that I'm absolutely a sex educator. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I did when I was kind of cruising around on the internet, also kind of went down the rabbit hole of the internet, is I found this place. uh, It was a website called FetLife.com. Ah, yes. We know that website. Right. Mm -hmm. And so- when I found that website, I also found another website that was like a spanking website where you could upload uh, videos and clips of, of spanking. Oh. And when I found it, I, um, you know, three hours later, I'd gotten off three times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And so it was one of those things of like, okay, I guess this is something that turns me on, you know, put it on the list. It's very exciting when you oh find God. one of those things, you know. And with that life, it was overwhelming at first because, you know, you mentioned about mm-hmm. pegging being a part of BDSM. And technically, if you want to get technical about BDSM, right. it's not included in that definition. It's absolutely kinky, but yeah. there's so many things that people do that can be defined as a kink. Yeah. That Anything outside the vanilla social norm yeah, don't can be fit considered into the whole BDSM thing. Right. So technically right. it's not, yeah. but it's my people. <laughs> it's my people, even if I wasn't into BDSM. And there are people who have approached me who really, really want to do the pegging thing, but they can't find a partner. And I say, you know, you can connect up with your local kink community, which you can do through vetlife.com yeah. and meet people and get to know them. Because typically pegging is not something that's done as a Tinder hookup, you know, it requires a right. previous connection. There's a lot of trust yeah. involved. 
And there's a whole bunch of reasons why, but, and I'm not saying it's never happened on Tinder. Of course it has, Sure. but uh, that is the best way to find a partner is to get to know people because in, in the kink communities, what you find is a bunch of people who are interested in exploring kinks most of the time. Yeah. They're sexual, Mm -hmm. but not always, they're not always sexually connected. So because you have this kind of like a kink family, if you will, you you know, there might be a woman who's always wanted to do pegging. It might be a guy who's always wanted to receive it and they connect up. It's not that they want a relationship. They want to explore. So that's the, the oh. free way to do it. <laughs> exactly. Um, this actually, this conversation actually is leading into something I like to call my stat of the day. Oh. It's the stat of the day. So one in 10 American women say they'd like to try pegging. And the most common reason for this um, percentage is curiosity is what they're reporting. 53% of American men have fantasized about being dominated sexually. Okay. Being dominated and being pegged are not the same thing, but I do think that they go hand in hand. I do think that they live in the same book. Would that be a good way to phrase it? They may not, they might even be in the same chapter, mentioned in the same chapter a couple times. They're not necessarily the same thing or on the same page, but being dominated and being, and being pegged um, are, are common fantasies for men. What percentage of the American population of adults, this includes all genders, what percentage of the American population have tried pegging? Husband Kevin Weller. So giving and receiving? So women... Tried are... pegging, either pegged or was pegged. Mm, 10%. Okay, 10% is what husband says. And guest? 14. Miss 14, okay. So... Uh, the listeners are going to guess as well, um, and I don't tell you until the end of the episode. <laughs> you get stuck with that. I've seen um, those stats. I just can't remember them. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting to me um, that mentioned in this statistic is that 53% of men fantasize about being dominated sexually. Yes? I was going to say, but that's a far cry <clears throat> being dominated and being pegged. Yes, I yes, agree. Absolutely. I Good point. Yeah. I, I, I don't mind if a girl flips it around <clears throat> and like it, realistically, I'm more of a switch than anything. I typically like to dominate, but I like it when girls try to like come after me and like flip me over and jump on top. But that's a far cry from flipping me over and the other it way. on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then going, okay, here, here it comes. <laughs> so my question, Ruby, is do you find there are elements of dominance in pegging? And do you find elef- ele- elements of submissiveness in pegging on the part of the pegger, the one doing the pegging? So how much of pegging is dominance and how much of is it is, it is submissiveness and how much of it is neither of that? Well, you were correct in that the first assumption that people make, which is largely correct, is that dominance and pegging go hand in hand in terms of the person getting pegged is being dominant, being dominated, excuse me, 
But at the same time, it's really important people understand that pegging is customizable. Okay, it's customizable. You can do pegging any way you want to. You can do pegging like one more way to sensually make love with your partner. Or you can do it like I do. You can tie them up and beat them first and then fuck them. You can do it any way you want. You totally can. And this is a stumbling block for a lot of receivers is what I like to call them. Oh, that's a great word. I love that. Receivers. I default to that because I've, I got approached over the years several times from people who identify as the opposite gender I was teaching to in the pronouns I was using. So I try and use giver and receiver now. So receivers, especially in the BDSM world, it's there's a preponderance of dominant males there. And some of them really mm-hmm. want to explore the whole pegging thing, but they're just scared shitless. And, you know, I don't mean literally. Unintended. Right, right, right? <laughs> because they don't want to be submissive. So let me differentiate mm-hmm. here between um, submissiveness and vulnerability because to be penetrated pleasurably anally i believe that requires vulnerability and vulnerability is so often conflated with weakness sadly you know in a military Mm. sense sure if you've got vulnerability it's weakness but in interpersonal communication type stuff it's about the unexpected it's about opening yourself up to express your emotions and allowing someone to really fully see you. And mm-hmm. that actually takes a tremendous amount of courage. It's not weak at all. It also, it's also very psychologically based. I feel like there is a lot of psychology um, and emotional dynamics that go into when someone, especially, I feel like when someone identifies as a heterosexual male, um, the psychology in this country, especially surrounding um, being the receiver of pegging, is very much tied into their masculinity. And we do a lot of shit to the men in this country, the heterosexual men in this country, and we force toxic mascul- masculinity onto them. And gender norms are constant and um, the idea that all men want sex all the time and they want to be the ones that dominate and they want to be the ones that just have rough sex. And and, and then you, you set these people up for these failures within their emotional and intimate and sex lives. And so I feel like the people who want to explore this side of themselves, it takes a lot of psychological bravery um, and overcoming a lot of those social social norms and stereotypes. Do you find a lot of the clients? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say more than more than masculinity, <clears throat> it's homophobia. Yes, yeah. but that yeah. plays into masculinity as well. Those two go hand in hand as well. Right. You're right, yeah. though. It is the idea that we have put into society where we say if you are someone who owns a penis and you get penetrated anally, that means you're gay. Yeah, regardless of what it is, it's kind of like yeah. Like, that you know you get labeled that and you're right. like that doesn't make any sense right because <laughs> yeah. it, it isn't about the behavior like there's pleasure centers back there and we're an entire group of people is ignoring a, a pleasurable area simply because our society has said if you pleasure that area you're gay so how often as a sex worker as a dominatrix as someone who is a giver of pegging do you find that these men have a difficult time overcoming that psychological aspect of it 
Well, first, let me um, give you kudos for expressing all that so well, because that is one of the rabbit holes I went down, you know, the whole masculinity thing. And I follow some wonderful people in that regard. One is Mark Green. His last name is G-R-E-E-N-E. And he has a website called Remaking Manhood, I think it is. Oh, And there's a bunch of different men out there trying to establish a healthier version of what masculinity means. And so I started studying that because it overlaps so much into the willingness of a man to do pegging. And, you know, just yesterday, I listened to part of a podcast. One of my listeners sent me a a link to a podcast and said, okay, these these people are like the antithesis of you, okay? And I listened to this this (laughs) little part, and there's it's two guys, and one of them is saying, well, I mean... Clearly, this is a sex act that's usually done between two men. And so, of course, somehow, in some way, it's affecting your orientation. And I'm like, oh, my <gasps> God. Right. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah what? I know. I know. And so I, I did a little thing on Twitter. If anybody wants to find me on Twitter, it's Ruby underscore Ryder on Twitter. And I, I did a little quote tweet. And for that episode, I pulled it up. And I said, this is so homophobic. What is up? Join the yeah, 21st I- century, man. Jesus, get on the pleasure train, people. Like, (laughs) so there's that. But in terms of that, uh, Tony Porter in a TED talk uh, coined the phrase man box. And that is a phrase that uh, has all of these different characteristics that uh, cock owners are expected to portray. To I like that better than penis owners. Can I steal that? Cock owners. Thank you. (laughs) I like that. Continue. Sorry, man box. Go ahead. And so, more importantly, to my purposes in terms of teaching about pegging, are the characteristics they're kind of implicitly forbidden to portray. And that would basically include anything that can be perceived as feminine or gay. Now, mm-hmm. just can we just all take a pause here for a moment? Because that is so fucked up on the face of it. It's implying yeah. that feminine or gay is less than masculine. That's fucking bullshit. So anyway, right. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fucking <laughs> round of applause. Um, penetration <laughs> often happens to vagina owners. Penetration, sometimes not nearly as often as people think, happen with gay men as well. So mm-hmm. um, this is where all of the fear of your your bro dudes finding out, anybody finding out, because mm-hmm. the blowback for receivers is much, much more harsh than it is for givers. And I, oh, for and sure. I feel for guys, I really do. But when you actually cross that line and start to explore it, the most beautiful thing happens because one of the other characteristics that men are always expected to portray is always being strong and in control. You're always strong and in control, right? Well, yeah. you are not when you're getting pegged. <laughs> <laughs> you are a receiver. You are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the way that this just works so beautifully is that there are men out there who have craved the experience of feeling vulnerable, letting go and opening up and not having yeah. to have that wall up and that protection and that constant competition that ends up isolating them from having really deep relationships with other men, especially. Right. So they crave that experience. And also they crave having sex in a way that they just receive. They don't have to run the fuck anymore. They can just receive yeah. and not be in control and let it all go and just be vulnerable. So pegging absolutely can provide that. It's one of the most beautiful things I think about it. And I think in some ways it can offer an experience of that vulnerability to allow a, a more of an experience of wholeness as a person, because what right. you said, yeah, 
men are trained from young boyhood and non-consensually trained out of the skills that we resent. Yeah. We then, when they're adults, we resent them for not having it. It's so fucking unfair. It yeah. really is. It's awful when we when we tell these boys, you have to be strong, you have to be brave, don't cry, you can't be vulnerable, and you have to be dominant in everything that you do. And then when they get older and they're these alpha males or they're toxic or they're unable to express their emotions, or even in the simplest terms, they can't be present emotionally in a relationship. And we then shame them for those emotions that they're lacking that we never taught them. And, also, and, yeah, to, to, and they also, women say, I'm not going to do your emotional labor for you. Okay. I get that. I yeah. get that. But a little compassion, maybe a little understanding. A little empathy and understanding. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. I know. I, I fucking hear you. Yeah. Um, we are going to get into my tip of the day. Oh um, and it's not like the tip, excited. right? Just the tip. <laughs> That's what I called it to begin with, was just the tip just for a second. Uh, my tip of the day is brought to you by Pegging at Home, um, something we can all try. Uh, first and foremost, Ruby, when I do my tip of the day, I would like my guest to chime in on whether or not they find this tip to be perfectly wonderful or absolute bullshit. So please <laughs> feel free to chime in. Um, when one begins a pegging journey, if people who are listening to this episode are interested in trying pegging out at home. There are nine different things that one should focus on. Nine. Nine that I've compiled. Are you ready? Yes. And I'm sure there's more, but we're going to try these nine and see what they are. The first one is having open communication, being honest with your partner about your desires and your boundaries, creating a safe space where you can both openly express your needs and concerns. I'm going to assume that you're going to tell me that this is a absolutely wonderful piece of a tip and that I shouldn't change it. I am going to tell you that. That is one of the things I tell everybody. You need to have that duck in a row. If you can't communicate mm -hmm. in bed, then learn how to do it and come back and learn pegging. <laughs> you got to communicate. You got to know what you want. You got to know what your red lights and your green lights are. Mm -hmm. You got to know what each other wants. Um, education. So educate yourself about the anatomy, about certain safety concerns that you might need to be aware of. What are some safety concerns that people need to be aware of when pegging is concerned? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's, there's a few because people have so many misconceptions. There's a huge amount of misconceptions and the beginners webinar I teach is two hours. Um, oh my God. All the webinars I teach, I teach three different webinars and they're all three hours. In the first one, the beginners, I start off with all those misconceptions and myths surrounding masculinity. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of other ones, but safety, uh, the basic safety rules. Okay. Not too big. No matter how long you have been fantasizing about fucking your partner with this huge dildo or getting fucked by one, always start small. Uh -huh. Okay. Not too mm -hmm. fast. This is a slow thing. And please, let's not call it foreplay. It's the first act of the, of the play and it deserves to be treated as such. Take your Absolutely. time and don't sit there and, and have this expectant attitude of how much of this do I have to do before I get to fuck you? Right. Okay. So not too fast. Plenty of lube. Okay. Yes, that was another one of my tips. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank the ass you. is not self-lubricating. Right. And what's the last one? There's four. Oh, man. Drawing a blank. Not too fast. Not, not too, too big. big. Not too fast. Not too dry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm drawing a blank. Okay. It'll you're going to come to it because, it, because I'm going to do more tips and you're probably going to be like, oh, that's the fourth it. one. Okay. okay. 
So uh, one of the tips was to start slowly. So you can actually um, like increase the size of the anus by using um, graduators or like gradually getting bigger and bigger with each penetration. Do you use those with your clients? I use fingers. Oh, okay. That's perfect. And and when you can fit the number of fingers in that there's the diameter of the toy you want to penetrate them with, then you're good to go. Fantastic. Lubrication, obviously high, high quality water-based or silicone-based lubricant um, and more lube than you think you need. Like literally, right? Like so much lube, like more lube than you have ever used for (laughs) vaginal penetration. It makes it just so much more enjoyable. And that's one of the myths and misconceptions that porn gives pegging. Spit is not (sighs) fucking lube, people. No. Oh my God. If you want to spit and it turns you on, awesome. But use use lube. Okay. Um, make sure that you constantly communicate before, during, and after. So this tipping combines communication prior, communication during, and communication after as part of aftercare. What might you be communicating while you're pegging someone? Well, from the receiver's point of view, it's really important to give feedback in terms of that's just right, or maybe a little slower, or not quite so deep, or your basic stuff, right? And it's really important, especially immediately, if something doesn't feel good, you need your partner needs mm-hmm. to know that so they can stop what they're doing. But from the giver's point of view, it's not unusual to have a giver that is afraid of hurting their partner, especially if that giver sure. has had a bad anal experience themselves, but that mm-hmm. was painful. So sometimes they're a little bit hesitant. And so if you want to know if your partner's having a good time, ask them, ask them. Okay. And if you, if, yeah. you know, even if you have a sense of this doesn't feel right and they're really silent, just check in. You're having a good time. Everything good. You know, that kind of thing. The next one says experiment with positions. Do you feel like that's a good tip for people who are trying pegging at home for the first time? Like, should they all just be going straight to doggy style or is there better beginner positions that they could be trying? There's a number of different positions I recommend for beginners and they're carefully chosen mostly for due to the reason that the beginning givers they don't know how to fuck yet this is a skill you learn (laughs) there's a very steep learning curve uh it's an athletic event man is is an athletic event when you put a strap on on and you penetrate your partner and you fuck them you will appreciate the cocker owner in your life so much more it's you will use muscles you never knew you had oh my god it's, and yeah, cock owners rock, man. And then it gives you understanding and compassion for their usual role. This is one of the magic things about pegging is that it allows you to do role reversal. And there's learning from the other side, mm-hmm. from the receiver as well. But the other thing they mention is aftercare. What kind of aftercare do you engage in with your clients or with your partners after you engage in a pegging session? Those two things are very different for me. For intimate partners, okay. um, usually I do cuddling. And aftercare is that word that was established in the BDSM community because we have tops and dominants that do things to bottoms and submissives. And that often put them in a bit of an altered space or put mm-hmm. them through some changes. They're really intense. And so we're the tops and dominants are responsible for taking care of the bottoms afterwards. That can absolutely apply to pegging. Anal penetration can be really intense there can be an emotional reaction. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's very important that couples know that because if you as the giver are not warned about that 
and you look over and you see your partner welling up with tears, you're going to think you did something wrong, right? Right. And you're not going to necessarily yeah, it, handle it really well, as you know, no. which I would define as holding space for those emotions. Uh, yeah. So aftercare can be necessary for the receiver in that regard because it is so freaking vulnerable and it's intense and penetration is intense, but it can also sometimes be necessary for the giver. If you are a giver of pegging and you consider yourself foundationally submissive in a, in a mm. negotiated dominant submissive dynamic with a partner, mm-hmm. you can put your head in a yeah. twist. And right. I didn't really understand that until I thought, well, what if somebody came to me and they go, oh, I got this new, totally cool, sexy thing. I want you to try with me. You just have to be submissive for one night. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it can be really serious. So it's really important that both partners ask for and receive what they want, as opposed to laying there and going, wow, it should be nice to be held right now. And sometimes if oh, you yeah. offer, it makes it easier. Not wanting to put the responsibility on either partner be lovely if you can just Mm -hmm. express what you need often though Mm -hmm. in the pegging world it ends up being some kind of cuddling yeah okay and then lastly making sure that there are clean and hygienic practices surrounding pegging so not only cleaning the toys that you use before and after um, and not using toys on different orifices when they have been used in other orifices, um, but also making sure that you yourself are clean. Ruby, do you require your receivers to anally douche before you peg them? I do. Um, Just Why do you require it? I require it because not all of the time is it necessary, but enough of the time it's necessary that if if I didn't require it, nobody did it. About half the time I'd run into a mess. Not a huge mm. mess, but when people have bowel movement, sometimes there's stuff left behind. The main part mm-hmm. of the bowel movement comes out, but there's stuff left behind in the rectal canal. So all you're doing is rinsing that. It's not this huge enema thing. It doesn't take a long time. It's just ensuring that there's nothing left over in there. It is more common for younger men to be able to not have to clean out at all. And I think that's mainly because their bodies are just working so good and all the bowel movements go out mm-hmm. perfectly and that kind of yeah. stuff. It also has a, lar- a large bearing on uh, how much fiber you have in your diet. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a huge factor and you can theoretically, and this works definitely, but uh, some people are able to do it. Some people aren't is if you, what you put into your body is carefully done enough with lots of roughage and maybe a fiber supplement, you don't have to clean out at all. Interesting. Okay. And then also cleaning your toys before and after. Do you have a cleaning product or a cleaning ritual that you recommend? Is it just soap and water or do you recommend a specific toy cleaner? I don't recommend toy cleaners because I don't really think you need them. And probably the best example I can give you is with my clients because that's a perfect example of lots of different toys used on different people. And I don't bother putting condoms on them because it's a pain in the ass. Not literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. So here's what I do. When I'm done with the client, I take the linens and I take the toy itself and I put them all in the laundry and I wash it on hot with soap that has no perfume and no dye. You put your dildos in the washing Absolutely machine? Absolutely you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. And then, it, doesn't wear, it doesn't wear down the, the rubber? No. What? No. 
No, it totally doesn't. Have you ever put one in the dryer and it came out and it shrunk? You can hear it in the dryer really fast and no, it doesn't shrink. <laughs> you could put dildos in the oven. Dil- you know, silicone what? is hardcore, man. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And then I take it out of the washer. I don't put it in the dryer. I wipe the whole thing yeah. down carefully with alcohol. And then mm-hmm. there is this UV light box that I use. Because UVC, oh, yeah, yeah. UVC light kills like 99% of all germs and viruses. We're talking HPV. We're talking coronavirus even. They did a study with UVC Yeah, I had, during COVID, I had a UVC phone box I that I, I put my phone in there and it would it was supposed to kill the germs in that little box. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know what so happened. So there's a box it, I know that's exactly made for sex toys that you can actually plug in your, if you have uh, rechargeable toys not dildos that you oh, pay with. Got it. So mm-hmm. it can actually charge no. your toys and runs through a 10 minute light cycle. And so there you go. Now, uh, one thing that doesn't need to be taken into consideration, not in terms of cleanliness, but in terms of smell is that when you use a dildo anally, it can sometimes take on an odor, even if it's a perfectly lovely top of the line, hundred percent silicone dildo. There are two ways to get that odor out of there. One is you can buy professional strength fingernail polish remover, which is basically straight acetone. Wipe it straight up acetone. Yeah, yeah. wipe it down with that. The other is you can put it in the oven (laughs) at 350 degrees for about half an hour. Seriously, bake the smell off. That's wild, isn't it? It's totally wild. It is. I mean, I I ran across. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Thirty. How long do you leave it in there for? Half an hour. Yeah. He nailed it. Wow, I remember crazy. finding a thread on Reddit one time about this guy who said, so my girlfriend and I broke up and we did a lot of pegging. And so we have all these toys and we kind of spent money equally on these toys. And so like, what, what's the rule here? Who gets them? I mean, what happens? You know, can somebody <laughs> give us some advice here, you know? <laughs> and there was a lot of discussion because there's the whole gender bias of women having toys that they've used before and men having toys that they've used before. Men are just, everybody thinks they're gross and women who have sex toys, they think they're evolved. It's so bad. But the guy goes, so, you know, should should just one person take all of them or maybe we should just have a big bonfire in the backyard. You cannot burn silicone. And that's what made me laugh so hard is it's like, dude, you're just going to end up with this pirate pile of silicone dildos. You're going to burn the harnesses, but yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break. But um, before we do, do you have any last tips that you want to add to that list of tips for people pegging for the first time? Uh, Education is the most important one because there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of things that you wouldn't think about that you can avoid it being an issue if you learn about it first, like that emotional possible... uh, Mm-hmm. episode or or reaction I should say I've had people send me emails that say that they they cried the first time they got pegged and that their partner freaked out and said I'm not doing that again no way and it's just so sad I mean we don't know yeah. why it happens or sometimes they cry and they go no that made me cry I'm never doing that again <laughs> no way <laughs> so there's different things Where- like that that are just so important to know so education is paramount but the only thing I think I would say is to not buy the cheap toys and the kits and things because it is so bad. So much of a difference. Do you have like a book or do you recommend that they take like a seminar? What do you think is the best way for people to get educated for a first time pegger? My webinar, my beginner's webinar. <laughs> Why would I not think that? Come on. 
Hello. <laughs> um, where do you do your webinar? Theartofpegging.com is where you can sign up for it. I actually have beginner's webinar recorded. So you can either look at the schedule and attend one for free, because they are free, or you can buy the recorded webinar and watch it at your leisure. And you can show it to your partner, additional partner, new partner, friend, whatever. You just can't charge people to watch it. And you get a certificate of completion that you can hang on your wall. You can frame. (laughs) I know how to peg. Look, Ma, I know how to peg. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about sex work. Um, We're going to talk about being a dominatrix. And we're going to ask Ruby some questions. We'll be right back. Join us. You just call up my name And you know wherever I am I'll come running You know the drill. You're making out. You start feeling your way downtown. One of you wants to make a move to Cunnilingusville, but you don't have protection. Dental dams are hard to use, hard to come by, And condoms taste like, well, condoms. Hundreds of millions of people worldwide have STIs that can be transmitted via oral sex. So let me introduce you to Laurels, a first-of-its-kind product that provides protection, sexy style, and comfort. And it tastes like vanilla. Laurels for protection are FDA-approved for STI protection during oral-based activities. And Laurels for pleasure are the perfect cross between sexy lingerie and kinky toys. These thin and incredibly stretchy, single-use, silky latex undies are worn during fingering, rimming, oral sex, tribbing, and more. Head over to mylaurels.com to get your four-pack today. Be sure to use my code for a discount at checkout. What's Your Position Podcast. All one word. And remember, stay safe, Stay kind and stay sexy with laurels. Ever waddle to the bathroom after sex? Towel between your legs? Desperately trying to keep the freshly delivered load from dripping down your leg and onto your hardwood? Well, worry no more. Awkward Essentials introduces the drip stick, or as I like to call it, the cum sponge. This medical-grade sponge sucks up jizz before it sneaks onto your sheets. Visit AwkwardEssentials.com today and use my code, WYP, for a 10% discount. They offer numerous products for all types of fun fluids. Keep your shorts semen-free and use my code today. That's WYP and save 10%. Awkward Essentials, making bodily fluids less awkward. ACDC in your ears. <laughs> Just talking about heavy metal bourbon. Um, unofficial sponsor, Blackened Whiskey. I just told this story to Ruby. I should have just told it on the air. Blackened Whiskey is whiskey that's aged in a brandy cask and then set on 
rollers, and then they blast Metallica at this whiskey, like yelling at it for a straight month. And like the vibrations from the speakers spin the whiskey in this brandy cask. It's really great whiskey and it's not super expensive, but blackened blackened whiskey, unofficial sponsor, I've decided. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for the song recommendations, Ruby. We do love ACDC over here. So we appreciate that one. I love that song. Um, I love it. Now that you're, it's a great song. Now that you remember all five rules, uh, please remind us again what the five rules of pegging are. I think that you got all except for one of them, but I may have missed this part, but I'm just going to read them off. Okay. Okay. Plenty of lube. We covered that. Mm -hmm. Anal safe Mm -hmm. toys only. You covered that. Mm -hmm. Uh, No numbing agents in the lube. Oh, interesting. Never, never, never. That's true. What about CBD? CBD is totally different. You can use CBD, but uh, because that doesn't numb, it kind of relaxes. Right. Um, But numbing, you you do not ever want to numb because pain is... You don't know if you're tearing. Pain is an indicator, exactly. You want to know Mm -hmm. it hurts because you're doing something wrong. Because no matter what anybody says about receiving anal, oh, it only hurts the first time. No, if you hurt, you're doing it wrong. Okay, so after no... I have have a question when you're done. No, when you're done, finish the... The other two we covered. Take it slow and start small. Okay. Okay, you just said something that husband Kevin Weller is going to... His little childlike eyeballs are going to light up like a Christmas tree. You just said it shouldn't hurt. True. (laughs) Right? True. Okay. What if it does? You're doing it wrong. How so? Bunch of different possibilities. Maybe you're going too fast. Maybe there's not enough okay. lube. Maybe you have a toy okay. that's a toxic toy that has um, phthalates in it that's causing a burning in the tissues around your sphincter. Ooh. Maybe you have a flared up hemorrhoid. You know? Is this true for all anal play? Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. The only time that pain is an acceptable thing with anal play because I, I was called out on this on Reddit and the guy explained what he meant. He and his partner do anal all the time. In other words, they're totally into pegging, right? He really likes the sensation of her not uh, taking time and warming him up and just pushing that toy right in there. Now they do a lot of oh. play, so it's not going to injure him. It's a little okay. bit of pain. He's it's a, worked up to it's, that point. It's a little bit of discomfort right off the bat, but it's not going to damage anything because his ass has been conditioned to take these big toys. And mm-hmm. so if you use these toys all the time to just enter all at once may not be the most pleasant thing, but for him, it's a turn on. And he said, yeah, and it, I love that sensation. In my experience with girls, some are do, don't want any lube and they want that. 10 minutes or so of slowly working it in until it loosens up enough to go at whatever pace her body <clears throat> will allow. So I, I, I've experienced that before where lube and slowness um, is kind of the way they prefer that to go. And to be clear, you said they want a lot of lube. No lube. No at all. lubes. That is the thing that perked up my ears because no lube at all blows my mind. I mean, there are some people who are masochists and they like a little bit of pain. And as long as you mm-hmm. go really, really slow, because what you're dealing with then is you're dealing with friction. And that's not, right. if you go slow, you're not going to 
tear the sphincter and cause an anal fissure. It's just friction. And well, and it's another in- interesting thing you said, because <clears throat> I've experienced this with two separate girls where they, you said it doesn't self-lubricate. But in my experience, in my experience, it, it does after a while. It might be that the lubrication is falling from the vaginal canal and dripping mm, into the anal area and dripping onto your penis, which is why you're experiencing lubrication. It's the, the anus does not medically speaking, that doesn't happen. So they're probably having some sort of like not squirting necessarily, but just female lubrication dripping down from the pleasure they're getting from anal sex. Ruby, can you, do you feel like that's an accurate well, description? Mm, yes and no, because uh, th- th- there's no studies done on this and it's just so frustrating. And just like there's no accurate studies that have been done about women squirting, there is a phenomenon that happens with anal pegging or anal sex but receivers who have prostates that this clear liquid comes out does not smell like urine not sure what the deal is and i checked out all the physiology and things connect up in there you know from and it's coming from only prostate owners correct oh okay so okay so i don't know i don't know huh because the skein's gland, which is in, in it's named after a male doctor, but it's inside the female body, yeah. which blows my mind, um, is the gland that gets um, gets stimulated and re, uh, has female ejaculation that comes out of it. And the skein's gland actually contains fluids that are similar to prostate fluids, and they contain similar compounds between the two. And so they say um, the skein's gland could actually be analogous to a prostate, even though uh, most vulva owners do not own a prostate as well. Um, that does not come with mm-hmm. the basic package. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you stimulate the skein's gland in some vulva owners, they can have a reaction where they actually ejaculate this fluid. And yes, there is um, proteins in it that look similar to urine, but there is also proteins that look similar to this prostate fluid that you're talking about. But I didn't realize it came out of the anus. I thought somehow it was connected to the penis and it came out of the penile shaft. It doesn't? It comes out of the anus? Correct. For some prostate owners that are, that wow. are getting fucked. And one of the things that I think that is, that's happening is because that all connects up physiologically, you have the, you know, your stuff, by the way, <laughs> you really know your stuff. Thank you. And that makes prostatic fluid, but it does connect up in there with um, the ureter tube, the bladder. There mm-hmm. is some kind of connection that is, not like the major pathway that things always go. But if you put pressure on the prostate, it's possible that that prostatic fluid can come out of the ass instead is, is is my thought. Now, somebody might, (laughs) somebody might, you know, write in and say, Ruby's full of shit. (laughs) And it's quite possible. No one's going to write in. I'm not a doctor, you know, I just know (laughs) that I've been asked this a number of times, not just a few, but a bunch of times over the years. And I've seen it in porn. You know, it's just fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to get a shirt that says that. I saw it in porn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what it, what experience do you have um, which, in your experience? What would you say is the percentage of, of cock owners um, that have an orgasm from being pegged? Well, first you need to differentiate about what kind of orgasm because... Prostate, prostate-based. 
anal orgasm? There's no study. <laughs> so no, no. surprise, surprise. In my experience, you, in my experience, experience. there are so many similarities between what we know about clitoral mm-hmm. stimulation that are the same for prostate stimulation, that that is the only reference along with my experience over the years of talking to a bunch of people, I'm guessing about 30%. But the really important thing for people to know is that because what they expect is they expect, okay, we're doing this pegging thing and it feels really good and everything. So I expect this totally coccentric spasming ejaculatory experience, just like I do when I jerk off, right? Totally different, totally different. Okay. It is more like a warmth and a tingling in a much larger area in your pelvis. It is like waves of euphoria that go can go through your whole body. That sounds like my orgasm. When you're getting the internal clitoral stimulation, right? Yeah. Exactly. Huh. Same, same. That's really fucking and interesting. The way cool thing about this is it opens up men to the possible cock owners to the possibility of full body orgasms and multiple orgasms. Yeah, yeah. I found an article. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah, yeah. Is like they can have multiple orgasms if they stimulate the yes, prostate and utilize the shaft of the penis. And I, he, my husband is so jealous of the full body orgasm that I had the head to toe. <laughs> yeah waves of tingling that I where my orgasms last for like pretty good time especially if you're on one and and I get you good if you get me good if he gets me good it's like a 30 second 45 seconds of just don't touch don't no I think some go on longer than that yeah oh that's true yeah that's true and I'm wondering do do you find that the cock owners are having long orgasms yes, yes, yes. and like absolutely their mind is blown at how long they can continuously orgasm for. Yes. Um, it, mm. Part of the trick of having a prostate orgasm is leaving the cock out of the picture. So that's one thing, but I oh. even talk about that jealousy of a lot of cock owners, you know, their, their orgasms go straight up, straight down, boom, we're done. And they can get jealous of these really long, full body, multiple things that they can give their partners. So they are capable of that too. You leave the cock out of the picture. You do strictly prostate stimulation. And there's a lot of things that I teach about in my advanced webinar that are factors that can help contribute to attaining one. But so many guys talk about how they can have these waves of euphoria that just go through their whole body. And it's like everything is a pleasure center. And then they kind of come down from that. And if you keep doing stimulation, they can go through that again and again and again until either the person yeah. have doing it to them gets tired or their body's just worn out because of all the spasms and everything. And here's the thing that'll really blow your mind. A fair number of these prostate owners that can do this after that, because it does not include ejaculation most of the time it can, but a lot of times it doesn't, they can go on to get erect and have intercourse. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So now how do you feel about pegging? Uh, Still not interested, Okay, but (laughs) it's not for everybody. Well, yeah, not no. Cause you know, it's kind of like with you and me and my desire to, peg you <laughs> peg but not with peg. my with his actual penis no. my actual penis i just don't have <laughs> any do desire for that and i and i think a lot of it stems from fear of pain um and 
and fear of poop. You know, there's mm-hmm. a fear of poop sure. for sure. Sure. Um, and it's interesting because I wouldn't even care if that happened, and I would say, "Well, let's go in the shower or let's yeah the douching meth- yeah. method." Yeah. But I don't think it matters if I care or not. Right. It's really up to how she feels. Exactly. It's kind of like period sex. You know what I mean? Yes. Like if the person who has the period cares, neither of you are going to have a good yeah, time. You just have but to if be the person comfortable has- with it. And if you're not, I mean, yeah. that's why sometimes some receivers of pegging do a full on enema because they just can't relax unless they're absolutely sure mm-hmm. that everything's totally clean. And that's valid reason. Right. Totally valid reason. Valid. That's valid for sure. Let's talk about sex work, Ruby. Okay. So at what point after you had discovered FetLife and you discovered that you could um, meet up with people and explore your sexual side that you haven't explored yet, when did you say to yourself, hold the fuck on, I can make some hot fucking cash. Like, what am I doing this for free for when I could charge people? How long did that That's take? pretty much exactly what happened. Um, so... <laughs> But here's the story. <laughs> here's the story. Well, and I do want to mention really quickly that I consider myself an extremely privileged sex worker. I do not. Why is I that? am not uh, because I don't have to do it for money. Meaning, I don't need it to survive. Is what I meant to say. Okay, I do not perfect. need it that money to survive. It's just a really nice chunk of change. It's a side hustle, and I enjoy it. <laughs> which is not true of yeah. other sex workers and absolutely is not a requirement for any job, the validity of any job mm. that you enjoy it. That's Very bullshit true. to say, well, most of them mm-hmm. hate it. Well, Hey, we're going to McDonald's too. Um, yeah. <laughs> hate cleaning toilets. <laughs> Did that for a while. <laughs> and I live in a what state and in an area that really is no big deal for sex workers. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally this happened to me. Okay. When I first started seeing clients again, after the pandemic and all of a sudden, you know, Uh it's like, okay, I I feel safe enough to actually see someone. The first client I had after I started seeing clients again was get this, a retired detective from Ventura. Oh no. And I said, so, Hey, like he didn't, he didn't tell me that's what he was. But at one point in time I, I gave him an order, so to speak. And he said, Roger that. And I went, Law enforcement. <laughs> Law enforcement. <laughs> and he laughed. And he goes, yeah, I'm retired. I, so I said, okay, so what I've heard is that this is kind of how it works in Ventura. And he pretty much confirmed that. He goes, yeah, we're really not really very interested. You know, it's not that big of a deal. We don't really so have not a vice. Them. You know, we got a narcotics yeah. group of people, but we don't have the vice. They have other, other, there are other priorities. Absolutely. So I am... Um, very much privileged in that regard because the, heaven knows it's not that way in all states. So no. having said that. Um, but you're also privileged because you said at break, you said you're privileged because you're out as a sex worker. You get, you can say that you are a sex worker and not feel this weight of societal, like someone's going to come and get me. Yeah. And the reason, or, yeah. the reason I'm, I'm able to do that is because Ruby Ryder's not my name. And so right. I have that layer of security, that barrier mm-hmm. between my real name and the, the sex work. So I am out as right. Ruby Ryder. I am not out as my real name. But I felt like it was really important to do that because, let's see, how much do I want to talk about this? Uh, or how much do I want to say this? The sesta Foster law that got passed that was supposed oh, yes. to be about sex trafficking and ended up totally right. fucking up the internet. 
um, Absolutely. Craigslist personals, all that stuff. Backpage. I used to advertise yep. on Backpage. Um, and mm-hmm. Kamala Harris can go take a crap for all I, you know, <laughs> that was her That's baby, man. She put that. charges yeah. against Backpage. She knew would not stick. She did it as a well, stunt. So- yeah. And SESTA-FOSTA is this law that kind of basically said, you know, anything that's advertised as sex work could be considered sex trafficking because there were horrible uh, people who were advertising like sex trafficked individuals on Backpage, not the majority in any way. And sex workers who do it for a living, sex workers who do it um, because they like it, sex workers who do it because that's their job, they were also advertising on Craigslist, on Backpage, on um, in the OC Weekly, on their back uh, page for personals. But SESTA-FOSTA took away anyone's ability to promote themselves um, and not just targeting sex trafficking, but targeted the entire commodity of sex workers in general and took away a humongous chunk of their profits by Mm -hmm. reducing their ability to promote themselves. Not just ability to promote ourselves, but our, our margin of safety. When you're online... We share information about bad players. We share information about dangerous people. And I do want to mention really quickly so that I do not forget to mention this. Backpage was cooperating with law enforcement. They were giving them heads up on people they thought were doing trafficking. I'm not saying Backpage was perfect, but they they have gotten letters from law enforcement people saying, thank you for working with us. So, yeah, this was bullshit. But... What did it do? It, it took away our ability to advertise online. What did that make a whole bunch of us do who do sur- what we call survival work? You go back to the streets, you find a pimp, which is much, yeah. much, much more dangerous. And it, much more dangerous. And yeah. The uh, rate of violence against sex workers and death of sex workers increased exponentially mm-hmm. after that. Yep. It was just the saddest thing ever. Um, I just had two or three lean months. It's not that big of a deal. But anyway, right. you asked me, how did I start this? Let's go back to that. Yes. So okay. I was exploring, doing the whole pegging thing. There's a lot of guys out there who really want to learn about pegging. <laughs> and that whole masculinity <laughs> thing that we talked about affects younger men a whole lot less. They are less burdened by that. And that stops them from, Interesting. that stops okay. less of them from exploring pegging. So pretty young boys in my bed. Oh my God, I was having such a good time. And one of my roommates said, <laughs> and you're in your fifties, you're in your fifties when this is happening. Exactly. This is my when early fifties. And yeah, one of my yeah. roommates, uh, we were, we're all very king friendly in the house. And she said, um, you, uh, you know, you're giving yourself away. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you have all this skill and you're introducing him to this amazing new thing. And, and, uh, where else can they find this experience? And what are you getting out of it more than just a pretty boy in bed for the night? And I said, well, but if I took anything, then I'd be a sex worker. And that phrase, sex worker, had so much stigma still at that point to me. Oh, it's like, ooh, I want to be a sex worker, all those connotations and things. And she said, no, not necessarily. There's situations where it's like you're a dom receiving a tribute. And I'd heard of that. Uh-huh. And I went, hmm, maybe I should try that for a while. So I tried it for about three months. And people would approach me, hey, I really want to get pegged. And I said, I'm great. I'm sure I can give you an experience you're really going to enjoy. I also enjoy professional massages and pedicures and things. So why don't we do a trade? You know? <laughs> oh, so I did that for a okay, while. So you were trading. And okay. then I thought, why am I not just charging for this? Because I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so live. I lived with that roommate, my daughter, who's an adult, and her boyfriend. 
And I cooked dinner for them all and sat them down and said, so I'm thinking about doing this. And they knew I was. And the... Your daughter knows that you, that you, okay. And the woman who had told me you're giving yourself away, she did professional massage at the time and at a resort. And so she said, cannot live here if you do that, because this is my sole income. And if for whatever reason you get investigated, they will pull my license simply because I'm a massage therapist, which is absolutely true. Even if she's not doing anything, they would pull her license while they investigated her. So, um... Yes. That was her response, right? Uh, the boyfriend said, as long as I'm not here, I don't care what you do. Um, and my daughter, this is hysterical, but this is absolutely true. She said, I've noticed that when you make more money, my standard of living improves. So, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> it's very practical. Fair. Right? So Fair. I said, well, let me, nice. just, let me just try it out. See if I like it, you know? And as soon as I saw that very first client, my other roommate was already looking for a place to move. And she said, don't worry about it. You know, you two clients and the rent for my room is paid for. And I actually ended up turning that room into my playroom. So I use it to work out of. And I also use it for my intimate relationships to play out of. And it's really fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's again, something I'm so privileged to have is a playroom. Who has that? Yeah. And... (laughs) I did a lot of studying up about how to do it. I found a friend who was a mentor who was a phone sex worker. She really encouraged me to start off at a higher price and not undercharge myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the where did you start? Where was your start versus where you are now as far as what you charge for like, and I don't know how you word it, but let's just call it the basic package. <laughs> the if basic I was going to come to you well, and say, hey. I charge my time basically is what I charge oh, okay. by charge for the hour or two hours or three hours. Okay. I also do dinner dates. If somebody wants to meet me first, they can pay me a hundred bucks and, and take me out to dinner. Um, Hi. It was just really always a lot of fun, but yeah, um, that is fun. When I first started, she said, don't you dare charge less than two fifty, And that was An uh, seven coming up on eight years ago. So okay. I was 57 at the time. And that's going to be the title of a book I'm going to write. I became a sex worker at 57, right? So, because like, who wouldn't read that? Right? I was 57. So uh, (laughs) I started at 250 and occasionally I would get people that would complain about the price and say, I can get this for 200 down in LA. And I'd say, I'm an expert, you know, go ahead. Probably the best piece of advice I ever saw and have always, always followed. And again, this is another way that I'm privileged because I can turn down work if I want to. Is right. It was either I, I get mixed up between these two, Mistress Matisse or hmm, the other one that's an M word that, that are online on Twitter. And they're very active and they're sex workers. and They've been sex workers for a long time. One of them said, you know, do if you ever have an intuition about a client, something's not right, just follow it and say no, if you can. And I have done that. Mm-hmm. And I've never, ever had, How many times? I've never had a problem about four times over the years. Um, okay. But I, so in eight years, you've had four clients where your gut has said no. And you have just, how did you get out of that situation? Most of the time, the gut says that before they're ever here. I do a pretty oh, heavy okay. vetting process. And I make them jump through hoops. And if anybody's looking to go see a sex worker, if a sex worker is making you jump through a bunch of hoops, that's a good sign. <laughs> the yeah. ones to be really um, worried about are the ones that say, oh, yeah, sure, meet me at this motel. That's not a good sign. 
Um, yeah. So, but the way I, I structure it keeps me really safe. I have some really strong touch boundaries. Basically, client that comes to me has to understand that I give and I do not receive. You will never see me naked. There's no oral. There's no kissing. I do all kinds of amazing things to your body and make you feel amazing things, but I do not receive. And you must have permission to touch me. Every once in a while, they'll ask, can I touch your knee? I'll say yes. So yeah, that's how it works. So in in that regard, I protect myself from all kinds of exposure to diseases sure. and stuff like that. And to a, like even to being touched when you in lack of consent and being touched where you don't want to be touched and how, yeah you yeah, and since amazing. I'm dominant, um, I'm running the show and that's understood. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't want a dominant experience, I'm still in control and they have to do what I say. Um, and I've the only times when I've had issues are when somebody can't leave their dominance at the door. Like, you know, somebody mm. feels my ass and I'll say, and then I smack him really hard on the ass. And this is someone who did not want impact play. He's like, hey. And I said, I said, don't touch hey. me. You know, you cross my boundary, I'll cross the yours. Rules. The so, rules are the rules. Yeah. So this happens occasionally, but um, that's another way that I'm privileged. And, and because of those really strong touch boundaries, along with the fact that most men who come to see me are already in a receiving, going to be vulnerable, potentially submissive space, never had a problem. Mm-hmm. Never had anybody oh God, go violent. What do you charge now? 400. Wow. <laughs> Yay. You've doubled. <laughs> and how, how long is a typical, like, is, is one hour even enough? Like, do you recommend that people even like do an hour? Like, I feel like you'd need at least two hours. An hour is enough. But I do spend 15 minutes just sitting and talking with them because the the key Mm -hmm. to being a sex worker is giving somebody what they want Mm -hmm. if it's within your wheelhouse and your stated boundaries, you know? So sometimes they don't express that very well. So I sit there and I talk with them and usually a question I ask is, okay, so like when you're fantasizing about this kind of stuff that you want to do with me, right? What does it look like? Are you tied down? Mm -hmm. Are you blindfolded? What am I saying? What are you saying? You know, what's happening? Because when I get specifics, that helps me so much. It really does. Yeah. Sometimes people are interested in exploring new things, like they want to try out impact play. They're not really sure if they're going to like it or not. Um, And sometimes they just really want a dominant experience where I run the show. What I tell people about impact play is some people like it because it you can get quite the endorphin rush from it. Some people are flat out masochists and they love pain. Awesome. And then other people want to do it because they know I like to do it. (laughs) So they want, they want to please me and there's lots of overlap Mm -hmm. in there. Yes. But so are all of your clients not, I'm, I'm coming to grips with the fact that as a sex worker, not all of your clients are there for pegging. There are clients who are there for just impact play as well, because I'm also going to assume you don't do anything that stimulates the cock or do you? I absolutely do. So um, no one's ever, no one's ever gotten that specific before, but here's how it works. And for anybody <laughs> listening who is a professional dominatrix, there is, there is a specific definition of a dominatrix that is legal and don't do any penetration. Okay. 
and don't, you know, touch the cock or anything like that. They just give you that BDSM experience and perhaps order uh-huh. you to jerk off or something like that. And maybe even sure. eat or come or whatever. But yeah, no, almost always there is at least some sort of prostate stimulation or pegging. Because if that's not what they want, why are you coming to me? You can get, this, you know, that from okay. somebody else. So you you really want them to experience the the prostate stimulation with you. That is really why they're coming to see coming coming to you. Well, <laughs> so many puns. Well, and also, so if all they want is to get beaten and have that impact play experience, why would you pay four hundred dollars? You can get that so much cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. You know? <laughs> it's fair. But yeah, the, the funny How? the funny part about the price though was when I started at two fifty, I would get people complaining. I raised it to three hundred. And then I stopped getting complaints and then the pandemic <laughs> happened and I got older and I went, screw it. I'm charging 400. <laughs> Fuck it. Did you see any drop in clientele? Mm, yes and no. I mean, I don't put that much effort into it. And the thing oh. is there's, uh, there's websites that come and go and that's because of Sesta Fosta. So going back to Sesta Fosta. Okay. Mm-hmm. That whole confluence of, Sex trafficking and sex work was a very intentional, very planned thing by Swanee Hunt, who is the Hunt's food heiress. She is what we call an abolitionist. She wants to get rid of prostitution. So she was doing all she could to make that happen. And (laughs) she hired this big marketing firm to study it and everything. And they came back to her and they go, well, you know, people don't really care about prostitution much anymore, but they do care about sex trafficking. So we, if we can reframe it. That's exactly what that law does because it was marketed as sex trafficking, you know, to cut down on sex trafficking, but they put two little words in there or prostitution, swear to God, that's all they needed to do. And it just messed everything up. Oh my gosh. Where do you advertise now? How do people find you (laughs) as a sex worker? This is a lot of information. Trist, T-R-Y-S-T, Trist.com. And I think I'm Mistress Rider at Trist.com. No, that's the email. Mistressrider.trist.com, something like that. And when they go on Trist, they can find any type of, of sex work. They can find pegging. They can find impact play. That's they can where find... most of the sex workers are. There are other... That's where... Do you have an OnlyFans? No. Mm-mm. Okay. No, I am an in-person hands-on, hands, hands in, <laughs> yeah. hands-on, yeah. whatever. <laughs> hands all, hands all on deck, all the hands, all the time. How has your, how has what you do as, because you educate your clients and your partners as well. So not only are you a sex educator for the students at specific colleges and people who you talk to on your webinars and people that you talk to um, on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, but you're educating your partners. How have you seen, where have you seen the biggest impact um, in what you do? Like mentally um, for your partners or for your clientele, what, what sort of impact do you see that's positive in these individuals? Oh, well, it's the opening up emotionally that I think is probably the biggest thing. When you're talking about clients, it's a little bit different. I don't do necessarily that much education for clients. That's many times not what they're there for, but just doing it, I feel like is educational. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're doing this lovely sex exploration thing 
And I certainly guide them through it. And by that, they're learning as well. But I remember looking through Mark Green's stuff, I started understanding how touch-deprived the vast majority of adult men are from tender, oh, wow. loving, non-sexual touch, which they've been trained out of non-consensually since they were young boys. So I read all about this in Mark Green's work, and I went, oh, my God, this is just so sad. And I became a lot more touchy after that. I was you know, pretty much arm's length. But now I just do things that are still very safe, like sit on the, the side of the massage table and have them naked, turn around so that their back is to me and scoot up. And I just wrap myself around them. And oh my God, these men just melt. They just wow. melt. And I just stay there for a while. You know, there's no hurry. And also the whole thing about after men come, it's like, that's a very vulnerable place. And sometimes I think there's a reaction after they have an orgasm to, okay, we need to get up and go do something. Right. And right. I usually just kind of put my hand on their chest and say, okay, just close your eyes and just sit with this for a little bit. Take a deep breath and just sit with it and fully experience mm -hmm. this because it's a precious thing. And so I can remember asking one man, are you getting the, all the, I started asking a few clients here and there, are you getting all the non-sexual touch that you want? And he said, no, he said, I'm, my wife would say the same thing. I said that you're not getting it or she's not. And he said that she's not. So after the session, I said, okay, look, this is not good for my business, but <laughs> I know there's probably a whole lot more information here that I'm not privy to, and I don't need to be privy to, but it does seem like a little bit of a no-brainer here. You're not getting enough non-sexual yeah. touch, neither is she. And I never saw the guy again, and I would like to believe <laughs> that he somehow found a way to talk to his partner about it. I mean, a lot of times I see married people... <laughs> A lot of times I see married guys who are just too afraid to ask their partners for pegging because there is so much taboo attached to it, you know, but in terms of the sex work, people ask me, okay, so how do you like it? Well, I've said I like it, but it's kind of like this 60% of the time I'm having a good time and it doesn't really even make any difference if it's somebody I would normally be attracted to my type of, you know, body type or personality or whatever. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy giving pleasure and pain if they want it. And I especially enjoy crossing those wires. Um, and so that's 60% of the time, 20% of the time it's work because maybe there's a hygiene problem or maybe they couldn't leave their dominance at the door and it's just not working really well. And yeah. at least 20%, right? I would mm -hmm. so fuck those guys for free. Holy crap. I have fucked some beautiful <laughs> men. Oh my God. I have fucked some beautiful men. And responsive too. I mean, beauty's one thing, the looks and all that, but to actually have someone at the other end of my strap on, so to speak, that is responsive uh -huh. and making noises and so enjoying and communicating. It. And, yeah. and sometimes that's a big thing. Yeah. Just in general in sex. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I'll, you know, my daughter will come home and say, so how was the new dude? Because, <laughs> you know, they know they're at work and, I, sure. and I'll just smile and say, it was a good day to be a sex worker. <laughs> you have an unusual household. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Do you still live with your daughter? Oh, yeah. Nice. And are you in your playroom right now? Uh -uh. Oh, okay. no, I have a big huge bedroom. I'm very fortunate in the place that I live in. This bedroom is enormous. And so it, it encompasses not just my bedroom, but the corner of my office as well. 
because the viewers can't or the listeners can't see this because they're not viewers, but there is a giant penis behind you and it has your name on it. And <laughs> so then a Betty Page esque pinup girl lassoing the corona or the head of the penis with her head thrown back in cackling laughter. And she has a little crop writer uh, in her hand and she's literally pulling the head of this cock backwards and it says Ruby Rider on it. That's you should. I hope you have that tattooed on you somewhere. I don't, but you know, I created that logo. I had a, a incredibly talented artistic guy come. He was just out of sorts and needed a place to stay for a couple of months. I had the room. I wasn't using it as before I made it into the sex room. Right. And <laughs> He's really artistic. Man. And he said, you need a new logo. And I said, you know what I've always thought? I've always thought it'd be really cool to have me riding a dildo. And that is actually a picture of me. <gasps> it's very Betty Page. And I was, Ruby. I was uh, dressed up like that. I straddled the back of my couch. I have oh. a high ceiling living room with a beam that I threw the rope around. And then leaned back and I was laughing and he took a photo and he turned it into and that. And then turned it into that. Oh, that's and if you incredible. look really close, I'm wearing a strap on, right? You see that? Oh my God, there's a tiny strap on. Oh my God, I see it. <laughs> that's incredible. That's oh my God. Um, okay. So what would you say is your favorite part about being a sex worker? And what would you say is your least favorite part about being a sex worker? Hmm. Uh, my favorite part about being a sex worker is being able to do something that I'm really enjoying at the same time I am providing my client with this amazing experience, oftentimes blowing their minds with a new type of pleasure um, and getting paid a crap load of money for it. I mean, all those things <laughs> together. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. absolutely amazing. And I, even though I don't work very hard to advertise myself, and like I was mentioning, because of SESTA Foster, the, the websites come and go. Um, so you're always looking for a new place and you never put all your eggs in one basket because you never know when that one's going to sure. get shut down. You're right. But right. Yeah. It's, you know, a busy month for me is like five or six clients. No, no. Okay. I just really don't see so that. So do you have That's a great little That's a great little side hustle. Paycheck. Do you have a full-time job that you do outside of sex work? Yeah, it's Ruby Rider. What is My that? My sex educator stuff. So you are a full-time sex educator and then a part-time sex worker. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. I'm so so, so here's the other income. I'm old, remember. Social security. Oh, that's right. I'm the Republican's Damn. worst nightmare. <laughs> good you're collecting social security while fucking people for money <laughs> that dildo is coming at him uh actually i have a very random side question um i'm sure that it's not part of like one of your questionnaires but can you ever tell when someone comes to you and is like a staunch republican or like super religious and you're like i'm just ah. gonna guess that it's like half of her clients you think so <laughs> like least half because we all know that they live a life of hypocrisy and repression and repression and mm -hmm. they say they don't do this mm -hmm. and they don't believe in it but then they go do it secretly yeah. absolutely i think you're yeah. totally right um and the other thing to take into consideration is uh they have a crap load of money 
And there is a tendency for people with more money to lean a little bit conservative because they want all the laws that protect all the money and and benefit them. Yeah, right. Exactly. I can tell people with people with expendable income can spend $400 to get pegged. Whereas like someone who's maybe working from paycheck to paycheck isn't necessarily in the market for a sex worker who is, you know, a pro. A pro. No, and I feel bad because those are the ones that sent me the message. I mean, you said, is an hour enough time? It is enough time unless it's somebody who's brand new, who's anxiety ridden and has a really, really, really hard time relaxing that sometimes we can't get there. But um, yeah. I'll get people say, how much for half an hour? I'm like, oh, honey, you don't oh. want me to do this to you in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no. We have to warm you up real fast. <laughs> okay, breathe. <laughs> And deep breath in. <laughs> what is your least favorite part about being a sex worker? That it's fucking illegal. Oh. I hate that part. Yeah. I hate it. I feel like something is gotta give because this whole and there's other things, but this whole OnlyFans phenomenon where there's probably hundreds of thousands of men and women that are now kind of doing sex work in one mm-hmm. way or another, whether, you know, OnlyFans, porn, amateur porn, where that fits in. But I feel like it's going to have to kind of, it's kind of in the American, like, it's just way now with how big OnlyFans is. And- Absolutely. And the term sex work was intentionally created to encompass all different kinds of work, including strippers, OnlyFans, you know, cam worker people. Yep. People who do like yep. me, full service escorts. And I was going to mention as well, there are other websites that are much better for the really, really high end um, workers who, you know, will go with you to Paris for a week and be, you know, your arm candy oh, and things like that. Girl. Like, uh, call girl. We, wait, what's one, what's a good website? For that? Oh, man. Um, I think there was one called Eros.com. I don't pay any attention to them because that's not where I advertise. I hear well, you. I mean, do, would the sugar babies that no. they would they fit into their no? We, we've do. done an episode. Well, with, they they fit into sex work, but they don't want to be seen that way because there's so much stigma yeah. attached because to the they, word. Right, because right. they are uh, engaging in sexual acts with these sometimes, but sometimes things. not. Sometimes in their boundaries or in their contract, it says, no. "I'm not." having any sort of penetrative Just, I am arm candy in I am arm candy I am a mouthpiece at a business dinner you have to go to I'm a companion I'm not here for any sort of I'm just here so that you can look at me topless next to a pool like I'm not here for any sort of sex act so I can see why some of them maybe don't want sex work tied into it but if there's any sexual gratification on the part of the other person does that then automatically imply that it is sex work mm. Well, technically, yes, but I mean, there's there's different gray areas that arise when you have different definitions of what that means or what it doesn't mean. It's it tends right. to Hell be yeah. a knee jerk reaction to not want to identify as a sex worker because there is so much stigma attached to it. Yep. That I think that that's that's only natural. But what one of the reasons that that phrase was um, coined and to serve as an umbrella term for all of us who are involved in this kind of work is to stop what we kiddingly, but not so kiddingly call the whorearchy, you know, Oh, (laughs) I am a privileged sex worker. I'm much better than those survival workers. Oh, hell no. I'm just a person. And so are they, they're doing what they need to do. I'm doing what I need to do. And I have so much privilege. 
So whenever yeah. we do those panels, like we did for your students, and it's a yeah. sex work panel, we point that out. We are not representative of all sex workers because the sure. ones that you're not seeing are the ones that do not have the disposable time to just sit here and talk to people. Or show their uh, face. Yeah. Or show their face. Exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. the thing We're that I like the least freedom. about it because, and let me just put in a real quick pitch here, decriminalization is what yes. we yeah. need, not legalization. Two very, very different things. You'll hear people talk I about absolutely <clears throat> agree. the Nordic model, which is where it is not illegal to sell it, but it is illegal to buy it. And they do that to try and reduce the uh, demand for it. But what that does is completely destroys the trust between provider and client. And it does yeah. not decrease the violence and bad treatment of sex workers. Uh, if right. you want to see a country that's done it right, take a look at New Zealand. Complete de oh. decriminalization. It's been that way for a while. Be so it doesn't matter if you buy or sell whatever that encompasses, it's totally legal. That's absolutely or, correct. And they don't have this huge thing of, we're going to keep tabs on you. You have to register. You have to have health checks. They trust the people to do that themselves. And because anytime that you require something like that, like a registration, that's a dangerous thing because then you've got a database that can be hacked. And then banks yep. say, you fuck you. We're not going to take your account and a whole bunch of other domino yep. effects but also yep. you create a group of marginalized people when you do that, that cannot afford that license or that health check. Right. Right. So yeah. So and free health checks is awesome. And I think that's one of the things that New Zealand offers as well for people with low income. I love that. I thank you for saying that. That's I did not know that. That is absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, all right. Well, we are going to wrap it up before, <laughs> pun intended, before we do, I'm going to tell you the statistic of the day, which I know you're dying to hear. <laughs> I, <am>. um, <laughs> I asked what percentage of Americans have tried pegging, regardless of gender, regardless of giver or receiver, what percentage of Americans have tried pegging? And I think this number is way low. Husband, said 10, she said. husband Kevin Weller said 10. Ruby said 14. It's 16.8. Wow. Nice. Yeah. You were close. You were close, Ruby. You win. You win the prize. <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's pride is your prize. You're welcome. <laughs> well, the prize was being on the show with you. You're so well informed. Aww. Oh my gosh. Thank and, you. What a wonderful thing and to And I've say. had I so much time you. to talk about all the stuff that's really important. You know? Yeah. I, I agree. I think that all of this is is super important. I love that we got to everything too, by the way. I love that we talked about pegging and we also talked about sex work. And your insight into both are just absolutely phenomenal and, this, and imperative, I this feel is like. This an action-packed, uh, very informative uh, episode. I can't wait I'm to so promote glad. this. It's amazing. It's so good. I, I would love I would love to have you back. And I am just super grateful for you and um, all that you shared and your vulnerability and um, your willingness to talk to us. Uh, is there anything that you would like to plug any websites or Instagrams or TikToks that you would like to talk about before you go? My main website is peggingparadise.com. You can find all kinds of information for newbies of pegging, learning as a giver, as a receiver, as a couple, all kinds of things like that. So peggingparadise.com is the main one. If you happen to be one of those people who is very interested in pegging, but you're really not interested in anything attached to it, like the BDSM type stuff, I do have a website called pegging101.com, 
where I copy oh. all of my informational articles, but there's no kink attached. So if that's your cup of tea, that's where to head. If you're interested in taking my webinars, you can find those at theartofpegging.com. And there is an upcoming schedule there that you can click into. My webinars are free. Uh, and then I have the recorded one that is the beginner's and what else did I want to say? TikTok, I am Pegging Paradise. Twitter, I'm Ruby underscore Rider. Instagram, they fucking took my <laughs> account away, so oh. I had to start a new one. And I think it's called, oh, I know it's called Ruby's World of No Shame. <laughs> oh, my God. It was God. a reactive fucking name, clearly. Like, yeah, clearly. <laughs> fucking Instagram. Man, bitches. Well, speaking of, go ahead. I was just going to say, I thought about this earlier, and I think it's worth mentioning that um, I saw a sex worker on Instagram. It was a clip. And just to kind of understand how prevalent pegging is, or at least some of the demographics, the girl was mentioning, she said, some of the biggest rappers, some of the most prominent male athletes, uh, this sex worker actually um, provides that. Oh, for these famous big, these big named masculine, people. yeah, big masculine alpha male right. type guys, and she was just basically saying like, "Hey, it's all type, yeah, <clears throat> people that you wouldn't think are the are they they do it too. all ages, yeah, Ruby, like it's yes, you run the gamut, then, right? And actually, I would say the majority of men who decide that they want to try pegging actually are pretty dominant in their normal lives because I see it as an attempt to try and find some balance. I think in our world that if you were born in a female body, and this is barring people who have gender dysphoria and things like that, but if you were born in a female yeah. body, you're majoring in feminine and you're minoring in masculine. There's never a hundred percent, right? And so the same thing applies if you were born with a cock, right? You are majoring in masculine and minoring in feminine, but we don't allow that minoring in feminine because of the whole right. way our unhealthy definition of masculinity. This gives some balance, it gives some balance. I mean, yeah. I listen to what my clients say about pegging and I put that in my ad. Have you ever wanted to just receive and totally let go, you know, and not mm. have to run the show for once? I hear that all the time. The last thing I want wow. to tell people is that, if you are at that crossroads where you would love to ex uh, explore pegging, but you're scared shitless, once again, no pun there, um, to talk to your partner about it, I have recorded two very special um, podcasts for that. And what it is, is it's my voice talking to the person who is being asked to explore this. So the best time to do it would be, okay, you tell your partner, I think I want to explore pegging. And would you listen to this with me? You need to listen to it yourself first because mm -hmm. only you know if it's appropriate for your partner. But I take you through all the mis and misconceptions. I do not try and convince. This is not a thing for everybody. But I do no. emphasize the relationship because what's happening when your partner comes to you and says, I want to explore this new sexy time thing, they're giving you a gift of intimacy. They are allowing you to know them on a deeper level. And that is precious and it needs to be appreciated whether or not you decide is, to do it. What's the podcast? Number 112 is for the receivers asking the givers, which is by far the most popular, you know, direction things go. Number 253 is for givers asking receivers. What's the name of the podcast? Peg, uh, Ruby Riders Pegging Paradise. 
Okay. Fantastic. So check out both of those episodes. Check out her podcast. Uh, check out her website and her webinars because free is amazing. And if you've ever been interested in pegging or even understanding it on a deeper level, you can watch this webinar and not have anything to do with pegging. You don't have to try pegging. You don't have to go out and do it the next day. You can just see if it's something that sparks your interest or lights a fire or makes you feel all the tingly feelings. Um, <laughs> we just so appreciate you, Ruby. Um, thank you so, so much uh, for being here. Yes. Thank you so much. We really it's love you. And uh, I'm so grateful. Uh, make sure you guys check us out at what's your position podcast on Instagram. Email us at what's your position podcast at gmail.com. Call us at 513-696-SEX. Let us know what you thought of this episode. And as always, stay safe. Stay kind and stay sexy. Position podcast represents the opinions of Ashley Weller and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of error. Stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. At least we still-